Give Josh clarity. Help him to speak truthfully and boldly from your word. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. singing everyone good singing it's good to be with you guys this morning the first question i was going to ask is who's in first place but i can see that asgard clearly led by james thomas is in the lead right now so what team should i root for like i don't get to play in the game need my help. But, judging by my hat, I like to root for winning teams, as you can see. But, I'm also a Raider fan, so I clearly also like to root for losing teams as well. So, no, no, I'm torn. I will, I will tonight, I will, I will, last night I sat in the back, and the band, Manning, what team did I say I was going to root for last night? I said Teal was going to be my team last night. Because I just didn't know how they were going to do, and they're in second. So, Teal, right now, you have my support. Oh, which one's Teal? Did I say Teal or Light Blue? I did say Light Blue. Thank you, thank you, Matt. Yeah. Light Blue, I'm rooting for you for right now. We'll see how things go. I'll pick an allegiance later. We'll see how it goes. So, hey, if you guys have your Bibles, go to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Hey, who is here right now and like one of your best friends is here? Like one of your homies is here. And like you're like, maybe you're sitting next to one of your good friends. Who's, raise your hand if you're sitting next to one of your good friends. Alright, it's, it's now you've you been here, you yourself. Alright, young lady with the, the blonde hair and the glasses right there. Okay, okay what's her name? Olivia and Charlotte. And what was it like when you first met them? You met her when you were one, and you don't remember when you met. It was a really impressionable moment. Okay, that's good. What else? Who else is sitting next to one of their homies? Yeah, in the back, yellow with glasses. Yeah, who's your, who's your guy? Who's your homie? Aaron. Aaron. Where'd you, you first meet him? You don't know, man. These are really lasting impressions. Right there, pink glasses. Talk to me. On the forehead. Yeah, yeah. You're the only one with pink glasses on the head. It's got to be you. So, okay, who's your friend here? And everyone right there. Okay. And, and any memorable like thoughts like when you first met some of these people, you thought, what about these people? A long time ago. And what did you think when you met them? I don't know. Totally indifferent to these people. That's what I love about junior high relationships. They're so deep. Deep relationships. You like ice cream? I like ice cream. We will be best friends. That's just, just, like, just how it goes. I love, I love that. So... Here's what I want you to think about today as we look at Exodus. Who could remind me? I told you that the book of... Oh, no. The iPhone broke. You know what? God can't break. Better. Again, better God. So I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm going to leave that right there. Good. Okay. So here's the question. Book of Exodus. Who could remind me what the book of Exodus I said is about? Like, it's primarily about what? About what? Yes. Yeah, God showing us who He is. That's what this book is about. And if you were going to write a title for this sermon, 
We're going to call this sermon First Impressions. First Impressions. Because really, in the Bible, Genesis is like a setup for Exodus. Exodus is God's like first move. Remember, we said it's like his Neil Armstrong moment. It's the moment that tells us who he is. And in Exodus 3 and 4, we really meet him for the first time. We get to meet God and understand what he's like. Now listen, student, you need to know what God is like. Right? You need to understand who is this God that I sing to? Who's the God that I obey? Uh, how do I think about him when I pray to him? You need to know that because the, the measure of your belief in God will be as big as your view of God. But let me, you could write this down. You could say small thoughts about God leads to small living for God. Small thoughts about God leads to small living for God. I won't live for God greatly if I don't think he's that big. But you could also just add the word great in that sentence. Great thoughts about God, a right view of how great and big he is, will help me to, to live greatly for him. Help me to live for him rightly. And so as we talked about last night, we're going to meet God and we're kind of deciding, are we siding with Pharaoh or are we siding with God? Well, we want to follow him. Therefore, we need to know who he is. So that's what we're going to do in this uh, today. We're going to read chapter three and a chunk of chapter four. And here's what I'm going to do. do Two things I want you to notice. If you turn to Exodus chapter three, and if you look at verse two, do you guys see in your Bible, like it says the word Lord. But it's got capital L and then like capital O-R-D. But it's like little capitals. Did everybody see that? Did everyone see that in the Bible? Or like point it to your friend. Point to your friend. Exodus chapter 3. Take a look at verse 2. Do you guys see like Lord? But like the O-R-D are capital. But they're like small capital letters. Zev, raise your hand once you see that. There we go. Okay, look at your friend. Make sure your friend next to you has got it. So you can show that. Okay, when you see that, you're going to learn today why. But I'm going to say something different. I'm going to say the word Yahweh, because that's what it is in the Hebrew. And you're going to see why it is. Like, why do people say that? Exodus 3 is the reason we say that. So you'll see that. That's the first thing. The second thing is we are going to read a chunk. So I need your help. Which half of the room, this half or this half, which of the half of the room is like stronger? Which half of the room is like, we got this. Okay, I heard this side first, but I saw this side raise their hands first. So here's what we're going to do. Every time the, it's the narrator, everybody sits. However... Whenever Moses is talking, I want you guys to stand up. Okay, can you guys do that? Can you look at your Bible and stand up at the same time? We'll find out. Okay, so you guys are going to stand up whenever parts that Moses talks, then you'll sit down when he's done. This side, whenever God talks, you're going to stand up. Okay, because this is the studlier side. I see some of the homies back there are building some muscle, maybe. Potentially, we'll see. You'll stand up as well, and that'll help us understand this scene. So you kind of know that there's this dialogue going on. So we'll look at the dialogue, and then we'll kind of dive into it. So let's do this together. Uh, Exodus chapter three. Here we go. It says, "Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian." This is forty years later, what we had last night, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, here we go, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. Go ahead, sit down. When Yahweh saw that, he turned aside to look to God, called to him from the midst of the bush, and he said... Moses, Moses, and Moses said, 
Here I am. And then God said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And God also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Yahweh said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians, to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me, Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Yahweh did. I will certainly be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. Have a seat. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Well, God said to Moses, This side, you're getting much more of the workout right here. That's good. All right, take a look here. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus shall you say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations Go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. Jump down to verse 20 in your reading. This is still Yahweh talking. Uh, Let's start in verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of them. And after that, he will let you go. I will grant his people favor, this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when they go out, they will not go out empty handed. But every woman will ask her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house for articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. Thus, you will plunder the Egyptians. This side, stand up. Then Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say. Yahweh has not appeared to you. Then Yahweh said to them, you guys are resting over there. Yahweh said to him, what is in your hand? And Moses said, a staff. Go ahead, sit down here. Yahweh said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. But Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. Verse 5, that they may believe that Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. We're going to jump to verse 10 of chapter 4. Verse 10 now. Then Moses said to Yahweh, Please, Lord, 
I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Verse 11, then Yahweh said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now then go and I, even I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. But Moses said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Go ahead, have a seat. Have a seat there. Verse 14 says, then the anger of Yahweh burned against Moses. I want you to see one more. Verse 17 says, you shall take in your hand this staff with which you shall perform these signs. Good job. Round of applause, everybody. You did it. You did this. Well done. How are we doing on this side? You guys awake? You feeling good now? Good. Hey, let's pray and let's talk about these chapters. So, Father, thank you for this morning. God, help us to understand this, this dialogue, this conversation that's happening. Because, Lord, as we understand it, we get to understand you. And we understand who you are. Lord, we need to know you. We will never fight against sin. We will never live great lives for you unless we have a huge view of who you are. So help us do that this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, like we said, first impressions, you learn a lot about somebody. And this, this chapter here is all about first impressions. And what you're going to see in this chapter is you see tons and tons of attributes of God. You learn what God is like. In fact, some of you, how many of you have done like an Attributes of God series before at your church? You just kind of walk through God is like this, God is like that. Good. That's what this is. Except what I love about these chapters is it's not just a list. It's showing us what God is like in real time. You know, junior higher, you might think, okay, well, God, I learn about God. God is this almost academic thing. He's this really formal thing. And what I love about the Bible, particularly what I love about the Old Testament is God is a God who exists in real life. He is the God who exists with real world issues. And so instead of us kind of making a list of God is like this, God is like this, you can kind of keep that list to the side. But for our points this morning, I want you to just kind of walk through this scene with me and just see all the different things we learn about God as we walk through this conversation. So here we go. The first part, our first scene here is what we call the meeting at the bush. The meeting at the bush. It's the opening scene. Moses, he's 40 years since leaving Egypt. He's no longer a sovereign prince of Egypt. He's settled down now. He's living a, a sort of farmer's life uh, after, um, after, in a sense, being chased out and running away. And as he's farming, he sees a bush. And it's, it's not surprising that the bush is burning. We're in chapter 3. Take a look at your Bibles there. We're in chapter 3. It's not surprising so much that the bush is burning. It's that it's burning and it's not being consumed. You junior high, especially junior high boys, you love when there's a fire pit. You love throwing things in the fire. Right? Come on. Do we have fire pits this weekend at all? You guys can start one on the artificial grass. Just don't tell TMU, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. And if you do it, tell them that it was James's idea. So that I'll be, I'll be off the hook. But, right, usually when you throw something in the fire, part of the fun is like the fire's there. And you're like, watch it burn. And it finally disappears. Well, here's the thing with this bush. It's not burning up. It's just burning. And yet it's, it's staying there. And Moses says, I need, to take, I need to take a look at this. And at that point, God meets him. And God speaks to him. Moses, Moses, we see there in verse 4. See, at this meeting, as we begin to meet God... In our first meeting, we learn a few different things about God. 
The first thing we learn about God in the book of Exodus is this, that God is holy. That God is holy. Now, holy is a word we don't like to use often. And holy is a word we don't, uh, I don't know, it sounds religious, it sounds formal. What do we mean when we say God is holy? Well, I'll tell you, I, I did a survey with the high school students in my group, and most of them would say that to be holy means that God is sinless. Do we agree with that? Who thinks because God's holy that he doesn't sin? That's good. It's not your question. You should agree with that. Right? He's holy, therefore he doesn't sin. But what, is, what does God say? Take a look at your Bibles. He says, Moses, take off your sandals. Why? Because the ground on which you stand is what? Holy. So here's my question. Does that mean that the ground never sins? Is that what that's saying? Like the ground's never the ground's like never killed anybody. This you know, Moses, this this ground is holy. You know, this this ground has never lied. It's never started a secret Instagram account. It's never done any of that, right? Like is that what that's talking about? No. So holiness must be something more. Same thing in the in the tabernacle in the tent, the the Old Testament, the priests have these utensils that they use for sacrifices, and it says that they're holy. You know, can, does that mean like they've never lied? You know, utensils can't lie except sporks. Sporks lie about being useful. But that's a, another conversation for another day. So what does it mean? Well, the other idea for holy is this. It means to be set apart, distinct, separate. When we talk about God's holiness, we're not talking just like a horizontal separation. We are talking a vertical exaltation. To say that God is holy means that God is greater. He's separate. He's above us. He's not like us. We don't meet on common ground. And so the ground's holy because God's presence is there. And it's holy because God himself is holy. When we talk to a God that's holy, we're talking to a God that's Above all things, that he's not like us, that he's he's greater and unrivaled in his character. That's similar. Uh, think about it like this. Some of your parents at home, you they have a fine china, like the special silver. How many parents have like fancy plates and fancy silverware that like when fancy people like your Aunt Edna from Kansas come over, like they pull that stuff out. Does anybody actually have an Aunt Edna from Kansas? That would be amazing. All right, so you do? From Kansas? No. Oh, that would have been awesome. Okay, good stuff. I like it, right? It's like when someone really important comes over to the house, like your mom and dad don't usually say like, hey, let's pull out, you know, the paper plates and plastic forks, right? They pull out the fancy things. Why? Because, well, this is someone that's important. That's the idea of holiness, separation, prominence, uh, being above, and that's who God is, friends. God is set above his creation. He's greater. He is supreme in every way. And so there is a weight to this God. That that this God is not trivial. He's big. That's why Israel in Exodus 15.11, when we get there on Sunday morning, is going to say, Who is like you, God, majestic in holiness, that you are above all things. Now let's think application here. I remember going to a summer camp uh, because you know my memory's okay. I've been to a few. I've had amnesia as long as I can remember, but we're working on that as well. Um, I remember going to a summer camp a few years ago, and the camp had like one of their counselors pray, and the camp counselor prayed something like this. So I got to bow our heads, and she goes, 
hey, God, it's me. We just want to praise you, Daddy. And it was like, it's like, whoa, this is different. Hey, God, it's me. And that's okay. I bet, she, I bet she was sincere and she loved the Lord. But when you pray, you go to a God who's above you. He's not like you. He's not your, he's not your homie. He's not tight. He's, there is a, separate, a separation there. And yet, what else do we learn about God in this this meeting at the bush? Well, we also learn that this is a God who's near. So take a look at verse 7. Yahweh said, this is we're in chapter 3. Let's get our Bibles open. Look down at verse 7. Yahweh said, just so you guys know I'm not making this up. I have surely seen the affliction of my people. And I've given heed to their cry. That was like the end of chapter 2. Verse 9, he says, now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. So think about this. Here's a God who's holy, who's above, and yet he's near. He knows the suffering of his people. I think those two themes right there are two ideas about God that people have a really hard time believing both. Separation, exaltation, and nearness. Because I think some people believe in a God that is supreme, that, that he is great, but he's distant. You know, he's like far away. He's so big. No one can understand him. He doesn't really care what's going on. And others believe in a God that really does care. He's just not that much greater than us. He's kind of like a, uh, I don't know, a spiritual genie uncle. And he's kind of near, but he's not as big as we see. And yet what you see in Exodus right off the bat is a God who is unimaginably above us. And not like us, and yet near to us, close by. That's who this God is. So you pray to him in a way that shows that he's supreme, and you can pray to him because he's near. Does that make sense, everyone? We're already starting to learn things about this God as we walk through this. He's the God who is holy, and he's the God in verse 10 who will use the phrase, my people. That you may bring my people out. Which leads us to another thing you notice about God here is that this God saves. That this God saves. By the way, as we go through this, we'll get this to the next point. That this is just who God is then. This is who God is now. Take a look at verse 8. Everyone take a look at verse 8 and think about it. Verse 8, this God says, So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. I have come down. Uh, how many of you like watching the Super Bowl? Who likes watching the Super Bowl? That's good. I would love to know what it's like for my team to be in the Super Bowl one day. Millions of years from now, maybe the Raiders will win. But here's, here's what I love is every time uh, they have those expensive commercials for the Super Bowls. And there's like the funny commercials. But then there's these commercials where like you'll have a CEO of a company, let's say like Chevron, the gas station. And the CEO will be like, we really care about this charity, about cleaning up. And we'll see him like with a little helmet on and a jacket and he's like doing charity work. Have you guys seen commercials like this where companies are like flexing the charity work that they do? And yet we all know that the CEO was really only there for what? Like the photo op, the commercial, maybe there for like 15 minutes and then he bounced, right? That's not what God is like. Look again at verse 8. In the Hebrew it would go like this. Look at verse 8. The Hebrew would be like, I myself have come down to rescue them. It's God that's doing it. We say Moses led the people out of Exodus. You're going to see already this. Moses is not the hero of this story. You have a God who saves how? By personally coming down to rescue. I mean, doesn't that 
Doesn't that just sound like John chapter 1? Do I have John 1 right? Do I have that one? Let's see. Yeah, John 1. Uh, the next one. Sorry. Uh, that's First John 1. Do I have John 1? No, I don't. Okay, fine. John chapter 1. What does it say about Jesus? It said Jesus came down and dwelt among us. That he saved us not from a distance, but he got in and he personally intervened. Why? Because that's who God is. So he was in the Old Testament. That's who he is in the New Testament. That's who God always is. He's not a savior sitting on the sidelines. He is the God who gets involved. Okay, let's move on. We'll move quicker through the dialogue now. Next scene is the first response of Moses. Moses' first response. And here's Moses' first response. Who am I? Who am I? Wait a second. You want me to accomplish your purpose. God, I can't do this. And there's a few reasons why Moses feels a little... um, insecure about this. One of those reasons might be because Pharaoh is so powerful. So Moses saying, God, you don't understand. I'm no longer a sovereign prince of Egypt. I'm a goat farmer now. Who am I to go and do this? And here's the second thing that might be running through Moses's mind. (laughs) Moses might be thinking, God, the people of Israel, these aren't the kind of people that want to be saved. Remember last night, Moses already tried to deliver Israel once. What was their response to him? Anyone remember? They said, what? Yeah. Yeah, they're like, who made you a ruler? You guys kill one of us? They killed an Egyptian. In other words, you already see these people are uh, not really down for Moses being their leader. And so Moses might be thinking, I can't do this. Which then God shows us something else about himself. God shows us that he is a God who is present. He is a God who's present. He's near and he's particularly near to his people. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, you know, in 11, Moses said, oh, who am I to do this? Verse 12, though, God says, yeah, but certainly I will be with you. I will be with you. He's the God that promises to his people not amazing power. He doesn't say, yeah, but Moses, you don't understand. I'm going I'm to give you skills. I'm going to give you charisma and speaking skills. And think you're, or Moses, I'm just going to give you power. No, no. Here's why it's going to see Moses. Because I'm with you. Isn't that good to know? Like, isn't it good to know that if you're a believer and like you need to obey, and particularly when you need to obey and it's hard to obey, that God's with us? I mean, it's really interesting. Matthew 18 talks about a really difficult thing. Matthew 18 talks about uh, something called church discipline, where you as a church, some of you, you, you've heard about this. You've heard of your church go at some point, man, we have to say as a church, that person's not a Christian anymore. But... But what does that passage also say? That when you do this, Jesus says, no, I'm with you when you're gathered to do this. Or Matthew 28, which I think I have Matthew 28. Yeah, Matthew 28, you know this passage. Jesus tells them, verse 19, go and make disciples. Hey, go into a world that hates you, that wants to kill you, that doesn't want anything to do with you, and I want you to share the gospel with them. Hey, that's going to be hard. I know it's going to be hard. But verse 20 at the end, and behold, I am with you always. So cool to know, right? That we can obey because God is with us. Because that's who he is. Okay, let's move it. We're going to keep moving through this dialogue. This led to Moses' second response. Okay, that's, you answered who am I, but here's my next one. Well, who are you? Who are you? Who, who is this God? Take a look at verse 13. Moses said, I'm going to the sons of Israel. and I'm going to say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they're going to say, well, what's his name? What's your name? Now, what, what do we do with this? Is it that they forgot God's name? 
Maybe, maybe they haven't seen his name before. I, I think they knew the name Yahweh. Here's what's going on. Names in the Old Testament meant something. Does anyone have a name that you know is from the Bible? And like you know what it means? Yeah, yeah, what is it? Go for it. Nah. Uh, Moses means drawn out. Yeah, Moses means drawn out of the water, right? We learned that, yeah. Yeah, Sarah means princess. Did you play with princesses as a kid? Do you still play with princesses? <laughs> now I feel like I kind of have to, Now, yes. You know, I'm just kidding. Well, let's try to, I was going to say no, but now I kind of need to know. I'm just kidding. Right? Names mean something. Uh, Jacob. Anyone here named Jacob? Old Testament. Your name's Jacob? Yeah, deceiver. No, no, I'm just going to. Yeah, go for it. Israel means wrestles with God. Good. It, your name meant something in the Old Testament. One of the ways that your names mean something now. Well, they want to know his name because they want to know what God is like. And here's what they want to know what he's like. After 400 years of silence, you're going to start thinking, maybe the God that we worship doesn't actually care much about us. Maybe after 400 years of bondage, who is this God really? And so if I were to say this is like the mountaintop moment, this is like, you know, the, the mountain range moment of the book of Exodus. And this is one of the mountain peaks in the book of Exodus because God tells us his name. Look at it. Verse 14. Everybody lock in here. Exodus 14, 3 verse 14. Here's what God says. He says, here's my name. I am who I am. And then he says, second name, I am. And then in verse 15, God furthermore said to Moses, that's how you say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac has sent me to you. What an interesting response. We, we need to think about this. So let's let's break this down here. I am. What does he mean there? Well, the, the word there is there's a few different words there. I, first, he says, I am who I am, which in Hebrew is like the word. Hayahu Hayah. Right? That's not like Hayah Karate Chop. Take anyone out right now. But that's not like that. It's, it's Hayahu Hayah. And then when he says, I am, again, it's Hayah. And then when he says, Yahweh, and if you wanted to look for a way to spell that, that's like Y-A-H-W-E-H, and the Hebrew is just Y-H-W-H, no vowels. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a form of the word Hayah. So it's, it's a Hebrew word that means to be. To exist, it's is. It's like he's saying, I am who I am. Or, you know, bad English would be like, I is who I is. Uh, or another way would be like, I will be who I will be. Well, who are you? Well, I am uh, who I am. What an interesting response, right? I wonder what I would say to you if I said, who are you? You'd be like, well, I'm a middle schooler. Um, I like to play video. I am a you know, video gamer. I'm a basketball player. I am whatever. God's response, I am who I am. Let me tell you again, I am. Let me show you my name, Yahweh, which is another version of I am. Okay, junior high, so let's think about this. What do we do with this? What do we learn from God with a name that has something to do with just pure existence? Well, here's one thing we learn about God, is that he is self-existent. I am who I am. Every single person you talk to, you know, when you're talking at lunch, or you're talking in small groups, every person you see on Instagram, at one point, did not exist. At one point, there was a time where no one knew them. Everything you own, at one point, had to be made. 
But here's a God who's never not existed. He's always just been. And so a few themes are coming together here. If you're making that little list, you see self-existent. God exists on his own power. Nobody made him. He's just always existed. That also means that God is eternal. Right? The Psalms tell us from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. If Jesus doesn't return, there's going to come a day where you're not only going to die, but some of your relatives are not going to even know who you are. You're just going to be like a name on an old family tree. But here's a God that's never been the case. He doesn't stop existing. He is eternal. He lasts forever. Let's take a look at another attribute then. What else does this mean? So he's self-existent, so he's better than the idols. He's better than us. He doesn't need anything to survive. He's eternal. Here, what else it tells us is that God is unchanging. He is who he is. Malachi 3. I'm jumping ahead. Malachi chapter 3 says this. For I, Yahweh, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You know, Anna saying some things never change. Frozen. My daughter. Shout out to Chloe. Um, but, but we actually see that pretty much everything changes. You know, you're changing. Styles change. Fads change. What's popular now will be popular a year from now. Everything in life changes. Except God. He never changes. He always is who he is. He's, we are unstable. He is stable. Which leads us to a fourth thing. You ready? Here could be another attribute you write down. You can write down this. God is God. That's what this means. Let's play a game. I need a volunteer. Who, who likes going to the beach? Who likes going to the beach? This young lady right here. You like going to the beach. You, know, you say your chair. We'll interact. Okay, so let's imagine that I've, I've never been to the beach before. I've just been stuck here in Placerita Canyon all my days. To all I know, Mustang baseball and trophy coffee are the only things in this world. And I ask you, what is the beach like? What's it like? Okay, it's windy. Hot. Hot. I know what windy and hot are. I've experienced windy and hot in the three months I've lived in the Okay, I know what sand is. Good. Tons of water. Okay, what, what is that water? Is it ocean? What, what's the ocean like? Salty and cold. So you might tell me what it's like, salty and cold. How else might you describe the ocean to me? Yeah, what's the ocean like? Um, I would describe the ocean as like wavy. Okay. Like it has a lot of bumpy waves. And wavy and bumpy. bumpy. Good. Maybe compare it. Like, compare it for me. Like, what's it like? I've never been to the ocean, but can anyone make a compare? Yeah. Okay, so it's kind of like a lake, but still water bigger, like a pool, but bigger. Good. Okay, let's, let's do another question. Um, I've, I've never seen a bush before. I've never seen a bush before. It's amazing. I don't know how. Concrete jungle. Um, how would I know what, a, what a, a bush is like? Somebody help me out with that. Give me some comparisons. Right there in the blue. Yeah. What's that? They grow and they're green. I know what green is. I know what growing's like. What else? What's a bush like? Yeah. It's like a tree, but smaller, right? Okay, ready? So if you want to tell me the ocean, you can do some explanation. You can give me some comparison. If you want to give me a, a bush, it's comparison. 
Hey, what's God like? Well, you would say, I got this one. You would say, well, God is like, well, God is like God. That's what that means. You can't compare anything to him. There's nothing that he's like the ultimate above. That kind of goes back to what we said about him being holy, right? What's God like? Well, God is like God. So again, let's, let's get very practical here. You might think, oh, this is a lot of heavy stuff. No, no. This has everything to do with how you're going to pray. This has everything to do with how you're going to talk to God, how you're going to sing to God, how you're going to obey God, because that's who he is. So far, he's the holy God, the compassionate God, the near God, and he is the God who is who he is. And because God is God, here's what you need to know. God always acts like God. And this helps us because sometimes when you make this little list of attributes, you're like, God is love and God is wrath and God is this. And you start writing down all these things. We, we start thinking that these are things that God does. Like, who are you? Well, I, you know, I can, I can swing a baseball bat and I like to eat Chick-fil-A. And those are things that you do all the time. But these are just things God does. This is who he is. And because he is who he is, and he will be who he will be, this is who God always is. So God just isn't holy from time to time. God is always holy. For Yahweh to not be holy would be very un-Yahweh of him. Does that make sense? This kind of melts your mind a little bit because you see, like, this is a God who I can't understand, yet I know that whoever he is, he always is who he is. That's how God introduces himself. And as the book of Exodus goes on, then, as tonight, we're going to see more attributes of God. What you can know is those just aren't things that God does. They're things about who God is. That's cool, student. I just want to tell you, as you, have, as you get older, and you have friendships and relationships, and you see that people change, and sometimes people disappoint. This is a God that you can know will never, ever stop acting according to his nature. Why? Because he is who he is. He never changes. God is always God. And because God is God, no one restrains him. And because God is God, he never restrains himself. Some of you have teachers that are moody. Moody teachers, right? Some days they're really good. And other days they're really, really like angry. And sometimes then that makes your homeschooling weird because then you're talking about your parents. No, I'm just kidding. But, but this is a God who's not like that. He's not here like this one day and different the next because God is God. Okay, let's keep moving because we've got a few more. We've got to move through this dialogue. We've got the big part. Okay, number four, third response. Third response. Okay, I got that. But Moses says, but God, they won't believe. They're not going to believe. And Moses is totally wrong here in this one. Like Israel's a very difficult people. Remember, these are the people that later when Moses is on the mountain and there's like cloud on the mountain and there's still food being dropped around every single morning. The people of Israel are like, yeah, we should make a golden cow and worship it. Right. That's the kind of people we're dealing with here. So he's not totally wrong in saying this. And yet and yet God, uh, he's got no problem with this. He's still going to act because he see that he's powerful. God is powerful. Chapter 4, verse 1. What if they will not believe? Well, then God says, what's in your hand? I want you to throw down your staff. Then Moses throws it down and becomes a serpent. And then when Moses puts his hand on the serpent's tail, it turns back into a staff. We skip to the part, but Moses takes his pure hand, puts it into his coat and pulls it out. And it's got leprosy, nasty, nasty disease everywhere. And then he puts it back and pulls it out and it's clean. 
Why? Because God starts showing, as he will show, that he's powerful. He's, he, has, he has kingship over all of creation. See, here's where chapter 4, we start, we start struggling. All right, because we hear about those cool tricks, and either we think they're a myth, or because we've seen Avengers movies, you're like, oh, that's cool, but Iron Man's done some stuff that's cooler than that. Except nobody can do that without special effects, right? Special effects have kind of duped us into not realizing, like, no, no, this happened. This is amazing. This is who God is. He is the God that nothing gets in his way. We'll see more of that tonight. Here's Moses' fifth response. Ready? Or sorry, fourth response. He says this. Yeah, but I can't talk. God, I'm not a good speaker. I, I, I can't do this. I, I, I'm not eloquent in speech. Take a look at chapter 4, verse 10. He says, I, I've never been eloquent. Not before you and I met God. Not since we've met God. I am not the person for the job. God's response to that is, I've got no problem. I have no problem with that. Junior higher, who are the kind of people God uses? Who, yeah, if, if you're, let's say your campus, everyone was going to get saved. Or your city, everyone was going to get saved. Or if in your city there was going to be just like some people that were incredibly faithful and showed us what it really means to follow the Lord. You might think that like, well, it must be like super gifted people. Or you might think right now, well, God's just going to have these older people or smarter people. And what you start seeing in this chapter is that Moses is not a great savior. And that God, who is the ultimate savior, you ready? Uses weak people. When God wants to defeat a giant, he doesn't go get the biggest soldier. He finds the artsy shepherd boy. And God accomplishes his purpose. When Jesus gets 12 disciples, he doesn't pick the bravest people. What does he pick? He picks simple fishermen who do hard work. God uses weak people. Students, remember last night, the, the, the biggest human heroes we saw in Exodus 1 were not these great, awesome leaders in Israel. They, they were simple midwives who were, by all means of society, weak. And yet they were faithful. How cool is that? That God is not looking for special people. You know, ever since you've been born, your parents or teachers went, oh, you're special. There's only one you. But, but the idea is that God doesn't use these supernaturally gifted people. He uses weak people who know they're weak, but who choose to be faithful. In your life, you don't need to do something amazing. You just need to be faithful. And God will take care of you. That's Moses' response. Moses says, I can't do this. God says, that's okay. Here's Moses' fifth response. Ready? He says, nope. Nope. I'm not about that life. Not going for that. In fact, the NASB here, verse 13, he says, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Uh, the, the ESV says it better. Who has an ESV? Does anyone have it? Read verse 13. I love Moses' response. I think they get it right. What's it say? Chapter 4. Really loud. Yep. 413. What does Moses say? Oh, no. Who else got it? Oh, you got it. Go for it. 
Oh my Lord, please send someone else. You can just like, if you read that, like, and then Moses said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. You're just reading the Bible bad. You should read it like this. And then Moses said, Oh my Lord, please send anyone else. Right? Not me. I am not about that. I don't want to do that. Uh, what is God's response to this? What's amazing is you see that God, He responds. We didn't even get to this in the reading, but it says, verse 14, Then the anger of Yahweh burned against Moses. It's interesting. He said He's angry with him. And then later, though, He says, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? Who, again, Aaron will end up being the spokesperson on behalf of Moses. What does this teach us about God? God is angry with sin. God is always respond, or God always responds to sin with anger. And already you start to see a glimpse of what we'll learn about tomorrow night is that God is gracious. Like, what should God do here? You're on holy ground, and you've now just told God, "Nah, I'm good." God should what? Just wipe out Moses. All right, get somebody else. And yet God is. Patient and kind. Student, again, think about the context. This is who he is. This wasn't a one-time thing. God is the God who is angry with sin. And God is the God who is gracious towards sinners. And for sake of time, we'll do that. We'll look at more of that tomorrow. So finally, number seven, Moses heads back. That's the conclusion. He does respond I'm summarizing verses 14 to 31. He does meet Aaron. He does head back to Egypt. And as we'll get into tonight, he will begin this confrontation with Pharaoh. And we'll see the the showdown we talked about last night. The ultimate Yahweh versus Pharaoh. But here's our question for today. If God is all these things, if God is holy, and God is near, and God is present, and God is powerful. And God is who He is. He always is who He is. He could never be who He's not. And God shows grace. What should be your response? I'll give you two. The first is allegiance. Love. Devotion. You need to side with this God. And the second is worship. Worship. Take a look at verse 31 of chapter 4. Right? Verse 29 and 30 says, Moses and Aaron come back. They get all the leaders of Israel together. They tell them about this meeting at the bush. They tell them, God has come down to rescue us. God is going to act. Well, what's verse 31 say? It says, so the people believed. And when they heard that Yahweh was concerned about the sons of Israel... And that he had seen their affliction, they bowed low and worshipped. They, they saw the greatness of who God is and humbled themselves and gave him all adoration. Expressed that he is worthy of all their love. That he has the greatest worth of anything in their life. See, let me say this. You could have written down that list of all the attributes. You could know those facts. But if your response is not worship, you don't actually know anything about who God is. 
The only right way of knowing God is to not just know about Him, but in seeing the greatness of all of who He is and how He's dependable and trustworthy and kind and good to us and better than us. The only way to respond is worship. Let's be sure we do that. Let me pray. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for what we've learned in Your Word, from what You've told us about Yourself. Help us to respond to you rightly. Help us to treasure you rightly. Thank you that you are the God who is. That you never cease to be who you are. Help us to worship you rightly. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.